Hello, everybody. Welcome to Movie Go Round, a film discussion podcast that rotates between different themes every week on a five-week schedule. This week's theme is You Did This To Us. Hello, my name is Brett Stewart. Joining me on this wonderful morning, we're recording on a morning, not an afternoon or evening this time. David Luzader, how are you? I'm uh, doing great. You know, I just, uh, we have to wrap this up quick though, because I have to get transported across state lines via a um, a, a plane. Um, it's, it's complicated. I don't want to get into it, but I'm a free man as of today. I no longer have to watch shitty movies. I'll be, I'll be free. It's July 14th. It's July 14th. My daddy comes home. On July 14th. Oh, my God. <laughs> Bastille Day on July 14th. <laughs> and Nicole Davis, how are you? Um, I'm good, I guess. I had to watch a Bruckheimer movie. I hate Bruckheimer movies, but we'll get into that at some point, I'm sure. And I, so, I believe, yeah. as you said, this movie <laughs> in particular is the most Bruckheimery of Bruckheimerness, Bruckheimerness ever. <laughs> yes. It really is. Uh, so. Yeah. So we watched Con Air. Uh, that is the You Did This To Us week pick. That means that the audience had the opportunity to pick the movie we watched. You can look for these votes on Facebook and on Twitter. They'll pop up every five weeks. So now that this one is concluded, that means a new one's coming around pretty soon because we do record ahead of time. So it might not be the episode coming out next week in your feed when you see the poll, but it is coming out several weeks after that. So be sure to vote on those and check those out. Uh, we got Con Air pretty overwhelmingly this time, the 1997 Nick Cage flick. But I do want to mention that next week is new to two. Uh, that is the opportunity for one of the hosts to bring a movie that neither of the other two hosts have ever seen before. And I decided I'm going to bring a film directed by Lee Schreiber, because uh, it's my pick this time, by the way. Um, and I'm going to do 2005's Everything is Illuminated. I think this is a really pretty film, and I like it. And I think it'll prompt a very compelling discussion. So, And, Nicole, you've read the book before. You were mentioned in the pre-show. I have, yes. So this movie is an adaptation of the novel by Jonathan Safran Foer. Do you like the book? I remember liking the book, but I honestly can remember nothing about it whatsoever at the moment. Perfect. Okay. <laughs> It, it would suck if you're like, yeah, the book was awful. No, no, <laughs> um, I definitely enjoyed the book, but I, I honestly couldn't tell you what it was about right now. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Well, we'll be back next week with that. Everything is illuminated uh, and it's available all over the place. It's actually on Vudu for free right now. So Ooh, there you go. excellent. But let's talk about Con Air. It came out in 1997. Newly paroled ex-con and former U.S. Ranger Cameron Poe finds himself trapped in a prisoner transport plane when the passengers seize control this is the longest or rather i'm sorry the shortest synopsis we've had in a show doc and i feel like that's probably fair yeah there's not much in the way of plot to this movie yeah it happened and then it was over yep (laughs) and nicole let's just go straight into your first question on the docket or rather your first discussion point the efficiency of this movie to a point it kicks itself along as much as it can. Yeah, I mean, it's he is he's uh, sent discharged from the army. <laughs> gets or from into the Ranger fight. Academy. It's really unclear. No, what no, no. He's, he's, he's discharged from the U.S. military. He's a okay. U.S. Army Ranger. Discharged, goes home, 
gets in a bar fight, accidentally kills a guy, and gets sent to prison in less than six minutes. (laughs) (laughs) And this this was a movie where you like, all right, uh, what if a bunch of uh, people take over a plane? A bunch of like cons take over a plane. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we need one good guy in there. How to get there? It doesn't matter. I don't know. We'll figure it out. We'll just have a big. I'm surprised it's not text at the beginning of the movie. Like honestly, we are a step (laughs) away from text. Do you think this movie was just perhaps written backwards? They knew they wanted to crash the plane in the in in the strip, right? And they didn't know how they were going to get there, so it just kept going backwards to that. Yeah, that would actually make a lot of sense. I mean, yeah, I think I think this movie started with the idea of uh, cons taking over the plane, the bad guys taking over a plane, and then they realized that Air Force One had already been made, so they had to change it slightly. I was. I was so close this morning, but I decided it wasn't even worth it because I knew you guys would have seen it to asking if you had seen Air Force One. <laughs> that way we could have followed this with Air Force there One. You, if you guys I'll had it. You. <laughs> Get off my plane. Um, better movie, though. Better movie. Yes, much better movie. Now, here's the thing with this movie. Yeah, you you are jumped into the plane so quickly because it just wants to get you there as quickly as possible. It doesn't matter what happens. And I found that the efficiency of the movie then wore off in the last half hour for me because I just, I, this is a movie I watched like 30 times in high school and it was fun with friends and we loved it. And we made memes of his mullet. And now as an adult, by the time they're like in the Vegas area, I kind of want this to wrap up. Wait, Oh, you, oh, okay. Air force one in this movie came out the same year. Really? Oh yeah, which means which yeah. means that somebody probably are working on Air Force One, and then somebody tried to write a similar movie to cash on that. Oh, this oh, makes no. so much more sense. Oh, yeah, there it's it's they actually remarkably both made a lot of money, but the audiences yeah. were pretty different. <laughs> yeah, one had Harrison Ford, one had a mullet. Yeah, I'm willing to wager. I have not seen Air Force One, but I'm willing to wager that it takes longer than 22 minutes before the terrorist sees the airplane. Yeah. Yes. That's about when the cons take control of the plane and and blurt out the name of the movie. Welcome to Con Air. <laughs> so, which, which they repeat numerous times go. throughout the movie. <laughs> they really want to make sure you get that in there. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I... I really think that his wife deserves better. Um, what wife? Does he have a Nick wife? Cage's does have, wife. Does she have any, like, you learn nothing about right, the, this woman except that she works in a bar. That's right, right, right. all you know. so tenuous. <laughs> no, I agree. But the reason I say this, though, is because he shows up at this bar at the beginning of the movie, uh, and she's obviously like, first of all, the, the pregnancy may, may, doesn't make a ton of sense to me because she's not showing yet, so it's relatively recent, but she's also acting like he's been gone for a long time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that in itself is confusing, but so... It's, it's not his kid. His, it's not his kid. Oh, maybe, maybe he sent a package home. Right. Packed in liquid nitrogen. Thaw it out for me when you... Uh, when you dear Maribel, I'm not going to remember her actual name, enclosed this like, sum of my spark. Trisha Poe. But I, I'm looking at this movie and she's she's like telling him in this bar basically not to go have a bar fight it's, within seconds. Like So he's clearly has a little bit 
They throw um, out this whole yes. like you were almost you were almost that guy again. What guy? Who yeah, are you, we what never are you find out about? what guy he used to be. <laughs> we know nothing about his past. We never find that out. Yeah, and um, this is to me, even with these cons managing to take over a plane with two pieces of paper clip that they have stuck <laughs> under their skin. Um, yeah. The most unbelievable part of this is that. Three guys in a redneck bar come and pick on a U.S. Army Ranger in uniform. I know. Thank you. <laughs> like, no, that is never going to happen. That does not happen in the Midwest. They do not dick around with military personnel. There is a huge amount of respect. There's, a, I mean, I will say there's a huge amount of respect on the East Coast. You know, you might get somebody eventually getting into a philosophical discussion with somebody in uniform, but I have never seen anyone meet uniform military personnel and not thank them for their service. Right. And he immediately starts blaming him for loot for us losing <laughs> Vietnam. No. It's like what? 97. He yeah. was 12. You know, what do you want from him? But they also <laughs> show up later on when all three of them decide to attack him with weapons. Uh, <sighs> like it's oh much God. more than a bar fight. The- and, because keep in mind, Nick Cage turns one of their weapons on them. Uh, yeah. It's not like he just pulls out a gun and kills these guys. Right, and it's not his knife. This bar is located by like a scrapyard that has like fire going up in the background, and they <laughs> show up in the background behind a chain link fence, and they're kind of shaking it and yeah, threatening why him. Out there waiting. Which which it's exit like, did they take? It's, but it's it's like something out of West Side Story in the, in the first couple seconds of them like shaking the chain link fence and trying to egg him on, uh, and it's such a stupid scene. Yeah, and it's, it's pouring rain. There's th- are three yeah. drunk, super drunk guys really gonna wait out in the pouring rain? Are they gonna go outside, get rained on for about five seconds, and go? Oh, let's go. Yeah, that was that was that was uh, that was Michael Bay amounts of rain happening in that scene. <laughs> Monsoon. Just, I, look, I want to, we need to talk about why he goes to prison because we're, we're, we're like already right at that scene and I want to yeah. talk about it because it is the stupidest thing in the world. Yeah. I, I had started this movie and then I had to pause it because I was going out to dinner with my friend for his birthday and my friend is a lawyer and so I brought up this movie <laughs> and he was getting so upset about that opening scene. Just how ridiculous it is that this man who gets attacked by three people kills a man in self-defense but because yeah. he's an army ranger... He goes to jail for 10 years. Oh, because the normal laws don't apply. What? He's just, <laughs> he is discharged. From, he's a civilian. <laughs> oh, he's a deadly weapon, David. A it, deadly weapon that is trained like no civilian because no civilians could possibly have training to hurt people. Oh, this makes me so mad. I, it, is, it makes me so <laughs> mad. No court in the world would... Would, first of all, nobody would press charges in this event. Yeah. There are witnesses that he was jumped by three men, uh, one of which had a knife and he defended himself. The, it, and then no court it would send him to... T- oh, and his lawyer's like, plead guilty, you'll get four. This is an open and shut case of like, he didn't do anything wrong. Like it, yeah. This movie, for me, loses like... I can forgive a lot. I can just go along with a lot. But this movie immediately throws this in my face. And I'm like, what world is this? <laughs> I, no, this is stupid. This is wrong. I was just—I was so pissed about it. 
Yeah, I forgot. You know, one thing I forgot about Con Air, and it was the reason I loved it when I was younger, and also the reason that it's so kind of awful when I'm older, is the dialogue um, feels like it was written on the back of a napkin. The entire movie is so stilted and so poorly executed, and all the one-liners are bad. And and there's some great ones, though. I'm like, there's some great bad ones. We'll stand by those later in the show. You can thank uh, writer Scott Rosenberg for that, who wrote uh, Beautiful Girls, which is a story about like a man in his 30s falling in love with a 14-year-old while some other guy in his 30s can't decide whether or not to marry his girlfriend. And oh, isn't that too bad? Uh, (laughs) Also wrote uh, Things to Do in Denver When You're Dead. And um, I I will give him that he adapted High Fidelity, but that's adapting somebody else's material. Yeah, uh, the, but he also wrote King. Yeah, also wrote Kangaroo Jack. So not the most stellar pedigree. This guy. and I, I will say for the for the uh, high fidelity adaptation, like he just straight up <laughs> used the dialogue from the book, uh, yeah. with the exception of Cosby Sweater, but more or less uh, yeah. just pretty much lifted everything straight from that book. Yeah, Nick Hornby's a brilliant writer. So yeah, why can't we watch High Fidelity? Okay, um, <laughs> what is uh, the we don't, point? We don't want to watch High Fidelity, guys. Don't don't ever. No, please don't make us watch High Fidelity on the next. You did this to us. No, I hate music. Okay, Uh, what is the point of Steve Buscemi's character? Yeah, what the hell is the point of this character? He's a red herring. I actually kind of like that. They throw him in like he's Hannibal Lecter and put him on the plane like he's the most dangerous, twisted criminal alive, and he never does anything. Which I guess I would appreciate if the film was better, but just when there's yeah. like so much going on that I'm like, ugh, ugh, ugh. You're like, you're going to waste our time with this character who goes nowhere. Well, keep right. in mind that he has a almost absurd subplot of well, all the actions happening when they have landed the plane for the second time and they now have to fight um, law enforcement. He's just hanging out He's having a tea party. In, a, in a pool with a tea party with a little girl, and you don't find out till the very end of the movie that a little girl is real. I think this is attempting, albeit poorly, to make you think she's maybe not real. Oh, I think it's no. It's supposed to be that you think he's going to murder her in some horrific. Well, of course, way. no, yeah. of course. But I, I've I've always thought when I saw this movie, it's the middle of like an abandoned trailer park and a nasty old pool. I always thought that he was just so whacked out that he was wanting to imagine this little girl there to do creepy things to her. Oh, and that would have been more interesting. That's yeah. always been my interpretation until you see the little girl at the very end of the movie. But Instead you also of them sitting there going, this kid is real dumb. Nobody's taught her to not talk to strangers. Well, she's her, mother. Park. her only friend is an empty pool. <laughs> I guess. And you got to hope that he didn't do anything. It doesn't seem like it at the end of the movie. <laughs> no, um, no, I don't think so. He just got a doll. He got a doll. Um, and he's singing. He's got the whole world in his hands. God. As they crash on the Vegas strip. <sighs> uh, Do they give Steve Buscemi extra teeth for this movie? Like, no, I know the man just has a lot of teeth, but <laughs> they're hey, extra don't, wide. Don't you ever dare badmouth Buscemi. How dare you? <laughs> no, I love you, Buscemi. Until you've accomplished what that man has accomplished, I will not stand for it. There was a solid, like, 10 years of my life where I for- kept forgetting his name. So I just called him crazy eyes because that's you. what they call him in an Adam Sandler movie. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah. I can't remember which one. Well, uh, now that's a character on orange. Is the Mr. New it's Black, Mr. So. Deeds. Why do I know that it's Mr. Deeds? Oh yeah. It's Mr. Deeds. I forgot oh. about Mr. Deeds. 
Oh, that was a movie. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I also want to talk about the bunny in the box. Because the bunny in the box for me is so wonderful. It's it's so stupid. And yeah. it's always been the meme for me of this movie of put the bunny back in the box. And for context for listeners that don't watch the movie, he has this bunny. Uh, Nick Cage's character has this stuffed bunny that he's going to give to his daughter because he's getting paroled and getting released on her birthday. Her birthday, July 14th. Uh, July 14th. Coming home on July 14th. Yes. Um, and he puts it in his, you know, box of personals and it's underneath the plane and it gets like loomed over him inexplicably several times. Uh, the first time there is one of the more deadly men, apparently, like takes the bunny out of the box and they ends up having to kill him over the bunny and followed by the line. You should have just kept the bunny in the box. Um, Why couldn't you put the bunny back? That, that, right. Yeah, and that, notice he is incredibly shaken. The first time he kills a man in the fight in self-defense, he is he's like racked with guilt and seems totally cool with being in prison. You know, he's the most laid back prisoner ever. Yeah. Uh, right. His his Pilates and origami. And he's and in this case, he kills this guy and it's like nothing to him. Well, it's what, uh, it reminds me of the opening of uh, the, 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 that James Bond movie. Hold on. I'm going to get their Casino Royale, mm. uh, you know, where he struggles with that first kill. But then the second one is so much easier. Well, true, true, true. Yeah. But but, but I've always what I'm, what I'm getting around to here is I've always loved the put the bunny back in the box thing. And I now realize that put the bunny back in the box is only the segue to the masterpiece acting slash scene that is Cyrus the virus, uh, you know, played, played by John Malkovich, holding up the bunny by its ears in front of a clearly green screened background of a moving landscape behind him on this plane, uh, holding up the bunny with a gun saying, uh, what is the line? Make a move and the bunny gets it. <laughs> oh, what a perfect line. Apparently, the, the, this was a movie, because this happened a lot, uh, and still happens a lot, but I think now since time, you know, like 20 years have passed for these movies, we talk about them a lot more, that these movies were getting writ- rewritten so much, like on set. Uh, same with Die Hard, but Die Hard got lucky. Uh, that John Malkovich was apparently like really pissed off because he was like, I don't, he didn't know what his character was going to be day to day because they were just giving him constantly new lines. And there's some reasonably good actors in this movie. And you must imagine at some point when John Malkovich was sticking up a bunny, he had to have thought to himself, what's going on here? Um, Because this is two years out from what is arguably like his masterpiece, right? Like he goes from this to two years of being John Malkovich. And yeah, I just recently saw being John Malkovich. uh, Great movie. Super weird. Yeah. Uh, Also with John Cusack. Weirdly. Yes. Yes. Honestly, Uh, they formed a deep bond. Yeah, of course. How could you not on Con Air? Um, But the bunny in the box has always been one of my favorite things in this movie. I just wanted to point out that Cyrus the virus holding up the bunny, I think is infinitely better even uh, and maybe one of the redeeming parts of this movie for me. By the way, let's talk about that green screen background. Uh, 1997 struggled when <laughs> it was showing a lot of the action shots toward the end of the movie, especially in the Vegas Strip. 
Oh yeah, the the the, the Vegas Strip, which I haven't been to Vegas in years, but I love hearing uh, Brian Ibbett of the Morning Stream talk about it because they talk about the order in which they pass by all these casinos is either super wrong or everything's like compressed together. Uh, really? This movie makes it seem like you know the strip is just all the iconic stuff is right next to each other when in reality is all like spread out a bit. You know, you're right. It does because the Hard Rock they knock the guitar. Uh, or like the neck of the large guitar off the top of the hard rock, which looks nothing like the guitar on the top of the hard rock, by the way. Mm-hmm. And the hard rock is not on the strip. It's, it's just off of it. Um, it's one of the few, you know, casinos you can go to and get cheaper room because you're not on the strip. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I have nostalgia factor for it because I lived in, um, in Vegas several years after this. So I remember the stardust and stuff before it got blown up. Um, intentionally <laughs> it was demolished uh so but yeah it's all just kind of in one little tiny spot right so we can show you it all when the plane is crashing mm-hmm. and it looks bad mm-hmm. i just <laughs> every single time they open up the cargo bay doors on the back of the plane and it shows you what's going on behind it it is the most green screeny mick green screeny thing it's just not good not good guys no no yeah, so let's talk about the treatment in any one of a Jerry in a Jerry Bruckheimer movie who is not a white male. Uh, yeah. This is one of the major reasons I dislike I think the only Jerry Bruckheimer movie that I like in any way and it's purely due to nostalgia is Top Gun. Yeah. Yeah. Everything else it's uh, homophobic. There's one gay mm-hmm. character who's flamboyant. Oh my gay. god! Don't even get me started. What's the character's name again? Like they Sally they, can't dance. Oh my god! Which is a, um, which is a which is a um. You have pinball, diamond dog, swamp thing, and Sally can't dance. And so. Sally can't dance is is a sh- taking a shot at them over an old Lou Reed song. Lou Reed song actually. Um, well, that's great. Except number one, a the guy was actually a professional dancer, uh, and b <laughs> it's he's super flamboyant. And when he gets the chance, he puts on a dress, and it's like this is not how gay works. No, no, it's it's disgustingly <laughs> portrayed. As is like, and then oh oh Danny no, I gotta, put, I gotta put it. No, no, no. But I mean, the what Nick Cage goes all over this plane like punching all the cons in the face whenever possible near the end of this movie. And he gets to Sally can't dance and he goes to punch him oh, and, he slaps him. and then slaps him. Instead. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, that was, that, that was totally an onset decision. Like, you know, it'd be funny. That's not oh, good. Punching him. You slapped him. Yeah. It was right. real bad. And then uh, there's three female speaking roles. <laughs> yeah. I was going to bring those up. The daughter and the, there's like no character, even the female guard on the plane, played by Rachel Tycoden, being completely wasted, um, has nothing to do. She spends it chained up for the most part, not talking. But no, she spends it, it just getting perpetually threatened of rape because yeah. there's Johnny Twenty Three, the the only the only Hispanic man on the plane, Danny no, Trejo. Is Hispanic. Oh, you're, you're right. I'm sorry. Um, but of course, he has to be the Johnny 23 because he has tattoos on all his 23 notches on his arm, essentially. 23 hearts for the 23 women he was convicted for raping. But he said if they knew right. the truth, he'd be called Johnny 600. Yeah, which is which is not as catchy. Uh, and, no, but to, uh, to um, Nicole's point, like there's no no female characters 
anything. I mean, it's hard, it's hard to even call them characters. They are like set dressing in a way. It is just right. like be be there be, because you 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 gotta be. I guess. I mean, and, and you can attack this movie on all fronts of like what character what character is what character development is there for anybody? You know, well, the yeah. men the men have more screen time. Definitely, the women get short shrift even in that department. Uh, but just nobody. I don't know. Nobody changes or grows in any way whatsoever. <laughs> hey, I, you know, who does change little, um, Stacy. I don't know what the kid's name is. Um, that's my, one Casey. of my favorite things about, I don't know her name. It's a little girl's name. His daughter, Casey, um, Casey. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. I'm uh, looking at a list right so now. I don't just remember that. One, one of my favorite scenes is is the final scene and we're going to talk about the music a little later because there's a great story behind that music um is him trying to give this poor little girl the bunny we're going back to the bunny briefly and the bunny is like covered in blood and dirt and guck and she's like scared of him and then she finally like comes around and hugs him and it camera cuts to her and she just has the fear of god in her eyes she looks terrified by this man. The whole well, reunion I mean, this, is so awkward. This giant, so greasy, dirty, hulking stranger has come up and handed her this bedraggled, filthy bunny. And she's like, thank your father for his present. <laughs> yeah. And the, but the uh, weird part is like the movie plays it okay at the beginning because she's apprehensive of him. But then they all have the group hug and it, it's just, oh no. And, and to Nicole's point, where it's like, is that his wife? Uh, because she does not really seem super excited about this reunion. It's kind of like she has brought the child there and that was the entirety of her contribution to this moment. She like she's does not. She's moved on with her life. Has she? <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah. I don't know definitely. if she has. I'm trying to give her some character traits. Yeah, there you go. But she <laughs> does seem like she did. She does seem like I don't really care that to be I, here at all. I think both of you right now are, are are hoping for more from her than we get. So you're just like just implanting just enough into what you think she might have thought. <laughs> I mean, I, I take it as the, the actress. She has a blank face the entire movie. Yeah. Um, they give her nothing to work with. Uh, absolutely nothing. Um, I, oh, the actress in real life was married to a to the same like position or whatever that that Nick Cage is in this movie. So what? The more you know. Like she was married to an officer in, in the in the armed forces or whatever that had oh. the same position as Nick Cage. Oh. Boy, so she'd be able to tap into a little more then. Right. You think it would mean something <laughs> to her. <laughs> that was later on. And then But you were saying character growth. There actually kind of is. Uh Colomini's character. Duncan <laughs> yeah, Malloy. <laughs> is an sure. unrelenting uh, let's say jerk uh at the beginning of the movie and then it kind of relaxes a little bit by the end. yeah for absolutely <laughs> no reason i the the way they introduce his character is so egregious it's like, <laughs> show that this guy is an asshole well what if he what if he parks his car in a handicapped spot yeah uh, what <laughs> what yeah What's He's a flashy, also, what is it, a stingray? Uh, just like a sure. Thunderbird or something, yeah, who knows. Well, okay. It's a flashy little muscle car. I wanna, and I want to talk about the DEA for a moment, because they are so incompetent in this movie. That agent they put on the plane deserved what he got. I'm just going to say it. He was an idiot. It, 
Oh, so he was very emotional. Like I didn't understand why he was so emotional. It he was like crying when when he was holding him up with the gun. I don't know. Yeah, and also like, why is the DEA even involved? Because there was someone they were trying to get information out of before the plane landed. Right, but is it is it for drugs? Yeah. probably. Yeah. Does does it ever say that? I think not it, explicitly. There's like the the first stop they make when they load some new people on, and the cons pretend to be guards so that they can do the transfer smoothly. They bring on this this guy who's, I guess, the kid of a South American drug lord. Oh, you're right. And I think right. that's the one the DEA agent's supposed to talk to. Okay, I gotcha. Now, as long as we're talking about, like, actually, I don't even have a segue to this. I'm just angry about it and want to talk about it. Uh, <laughs> what is with the freaking, like, Da Vinci Code shit that John Malkovich is doing in his <laughs> cell where he is yes. cutting out <laughs> the eyes of The Last Supper so you can line them up with a piece of paper to tell you his secret plan. Oh, I've got so many questions. Where did he get the bomb material? Um, Why did he leave that stuff to be found? Um, How did he he make the bomb? Uh, Why why was it... uh, Why why were you relying that... I mean, yeah, of course, like the, the guard was an idiot and opened the box up, but why did you think that was going to be what happened? Like, why not put all of that stuff in there into the box and then close the lid if you didn't want it being found? So when they opened it up, it exploded and not like that. You, ugh. I have a really simple explanation. Okay. He's okay. crazy. Oh boy. That covers uh, everything, right? Cause he's crazy. The way this movie handles <laughs> mental health is not oh my great. God. The, the yeah. Da Vinci Code bullshit that goes on with the, the Last Supper eyes, and and also how surprisingly quickly, uh, you know, John Cusack is able to solve this. Oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> like, oh, of course, this lines up perfectly with uh, Max Z. Yeah. Oh my god. Oh, that that was painful. So, I also want to talk about a bit about the song in this movie. Oh, the yeah. song. This makes me very happy. Uh, th- there's a whole, uh, we're going to go down a little bit of a rabbit hole here. I promise it's a thousand percent worth our while. No, I remember um, this. Okay. So the song is, what's it called? Uh, oh. how can I dream about you? I think it is. Or how can yeah. I breathe without you? Okay. How can I breathe without you? Breathe without you. So what happened here was when they were making the movie, they decided that they were going to get this 15 year old girl. To, to record this song, who was a big, you know, pop celebrity yeah, at the Leanne time. Rimes. Exactly. And they, she recorded the song for them and they deemed it was, quote, too poppy. So they decided, you know, let's just take your song and have Trisha Yearwood do it. This is the time Trisha Yearwood was incredibly popular. And this song uh, then was really. <laughs> and also, first of all, I love that it was, um, quote, too poppy. Entertainment Weekly reported that the studio felt Rhymes' version, quote, lacked the emotional weight needed for the film. Uh, because hey, that's, What did they want? What did they expect? Because that's certainly a concern. <laughs> um, yeah, this well, movie. Yes, that's also true. <laughs> so, in any case, what ends up happening is because Rhymes has already recorded her version that is too poppy, and Trisha Yearwood has already recorded her version that is more of like a country Whitney Houston ballad type thing, uh, they decide to release these things on the same day, May 27th, 1997. Both of these songs get released 
um, one for the soundtrack of the movie, one just as a single. Both of them go to the top of the charts to the point where they're both instant radio hits. Newspapers and radio stations are running polls to see fans to decide which song they like better. And one of the most played things in several radio stations that year was a fake mashup duet of the two of them singing the song together. Now, what makes this even better is this poor 15-year-old girl in rhymes is then asked by the Grammy Awards in 1998 to come and perform the song. And it is the first time ever that two artists are nominated for the same song in the same category at the Grammys. And they have rhymes perform this song at the Grammys and then take her backstage do the thing where they like point the camera at the person backstage because it's not quick enough for them to get back to their seat, but you need to see their reaction and then immediately give the award to Trisha Yearwood for the song that she just sang five minutes earlier on stage at the Grammys. And it is the most embarrassing moment of public television I've ever watched to watch that poor girl lose a Grammy backstage for a song she just sang to the world. Um, it is the savage. <laughs> the song is called "How Do I Live." Um, oh, okay. for but boy, that's that's rough. Yeah, and and also Trisha Yearwood was pissed about this because there's this long-standing thing in Nashville, in Nashville in particular, that if someone has written a song or has laid claim to a song and has recorded it, um, there is this long-standing, uh you know, honor amongst artists there where you don't really touch that until someone else has either, until they've given you the okay, basically. Um, and like, for example, you know, Patsy Klein went to Willie Nelson and all that good stuff. Uh, Trisha Yearwood was not really told about this. They just gave her the song and said, go record this. Here's who wrote it. They didn't tell her that rhymes had, re- had already recorded a version and it would inevitably be released because they didn't have legal claim to it. So, quote, she wasn't a happy person. She felt betrayed, not by the fans, but by the people in the business, because she, you know, I, this, everyone got, everyone got the short shaft on this, I guess, except, I guess both of them made a lot of money. <laughs> but Good what is that? But what, what a saga. The How Do I Live saga ballad war is infinitely yeah. more interesting than the movie it came from. Yeah, they played at the beginning of the movie and at the end of the movie, and it's just like, oh. And I didn't notice it either times. <laughs> <laughs> because it's most a- of this movie was just a white noise. But here's the thing. If you listen to the soundtrack, there's just lots of spurts of electric guitar riffing. There's no real score. <laughs> no. No, there's a score. It's just, it's so... It's literally just underscoring the action so closely that it's not really noticeable. Right. But there are a lot of scenes, and this is a la Top Gun, where you do just have like the searing electric guitar. Uh, and it's not, it's not good. Uh, so let's rickrolled by director Simon West. No, yes. really. Nicole, what is this? Simon West directed the music video for Never Gonna Let You Go by Rick Astley. <laughs> Never Gonna Give You Up, sorry. <laughs> He's the, he is the director of the Rickroll video. <laughs> oh. The more well. You know. Wow. <laughs> there you go. 
So, yeah, because, you know, I mean, this was the 90s was a very big era for taking former music video directors and giving them big movies. <laughs> this is true. To direct. I mean, David Fincher came from directing right. music videos. So, yeah, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're that they're not good directors, although no. case of Simon West. Yeah. Eh? You yeah, know, Simon hey. West went on to uh, to direct. Uh, hmm, let's see some other great movies like uh, The Expendables Two and uh, uh, Lara the, Croft the, Tomb Raider. Yeah, The Mechanic the of the Mechanic. Yeah, <laughs> boy, not a great career for that guy. Oh, he's directing the. I guess they're remaking The Blob. Oh, yeah, that's a movie that really speaks to our cultural moment. <laughs> Oh my god! Eighties um, remake. People love that one. Yeah, that is. Yeah. Uh, oh well, it's it's Hollywood. If they think they can make money off an established property, it's it's much easier than. It's true. Creating a new one. Yeah, all these people just in the last week freaking out over the Sonic the Hedgehog stuff. I'm like, guys, what is what is with those feet though? Oh, those, those legs. Those, those legs, rather. Those calves are just mm, goals. He is way too thick with two C's. <laughs> he needs to calm down. It's it's just like people are getting so upset about it, but it's like, hey, guess what? Uh, it's going to make money, and that's why they're doing it. Like they're not trying to like stab your childhood in the heart. They're just trying to make money. Yep. And and Jim Carrey's going to be there apparently. Yeah, James uh, Marsden, uh, Ben Schwartz. What a weird cast! It's a really weird, weird cast, but I'm kind of into it. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm in a weird place with that. Uh, what is there left to say about Nick Cage? This is our third Cage movie. This, this is, is it's, and it will three. not be our last. No, no <laughs> because he's he's ripe for you know. So we saw Lord of War first, and Lord of War was Netflix roulette, and then we saw Pay the Ghost, also Netflix roulette, and this is you did this to us, and he's kind of ripe for both those categories. Yeah, and I think I mean we, we've said before Nick Cage is a has had his heyday he can be a good actor then he does whatever accent he's doing in this movie oh my god the accent um the first of all the okay i just have to go on my angry music tant here tant, you know tangent here for a second they what laziness of the folks who made this movie to think he's from alabama Let's just talk about Alabama a lot and make the song we play a bunch, Sweet Home Alabama. Ugh. And also just like any mention or sound of Leonard Skinner just makes my blood boil. So like there's also that. Um <laughs> just no, no, no Leonard Skinner for me. But my God, that accent and that fake Alabama twang he has going on is not good. I no, I've never known anybody from Alabama, so I don't know what a genuine Alabama accent sounds like. They don't sound like that. <laughs> <laughs> they don't. <laughs> he's 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 like once removed at this point from Kevin Costner, a la Robin Hood. <laughs> Just not nailing it. Not in the ballpark. <laughs> no, I, I I will say to Nick Cage that I was reading. Uh, apparently, he like had like a weight set, always kind of just you know off. <laughs> off camera so that in between shoots you could go and like keep you know keep up the physique that he had worked on and i will say his arms in this movie do look pretty fantastic yeah like like, yeah, yeah. like muscular ass back like he's he's looking good in this movie yeah 
But really, acting wise, I don't got anything new to add here. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah. Yeah. The mullet, though. Like, the mullet has become internet lore, right? Like, people send you the gif of him getting off the prison transport at the beginning of the movie and flowing back his mullet and closing his eyes a little bit and breathing the fresh air. Yeah. And that has become. Yeah, the the one where he winks at the uh, wink at Vin Rames. Yeah, have we not talked about Ving Rames being in this movie? Yeah, let's because, talk about that though. Because <laughs> he doesn't have a character in yeah. this movie. No, like, Dave Chappelle has a lot more to do. So Dave Chappelle, they give one person of color something to do. And Dave Chappelle apparently improvised most of his lines. Of course he did. Uh, well, good. Dave Chappelle. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's some there's some actors in this movie that I got excited to see, like Ving Rames. Dave Chappelle, uh, MC Ganey is in this movie. And like, uh, aside from like Dave Chappelle, as we said, like pretty much nobody does anything. Uh, MC Ganey actually puts in a pretty decent performance as, you know, Swamp Thing, the prisoner they get to fly the plane. Yeah. No, that's, but, yeah, it's true. But it's, I mean, they're, they're, they're entertaining, but it's like, yeah. like none of these characters I'm going to remember be like, ah, remember that really great MC Ganey role in Con Air? <laughs> well, the thing um, Rame's character is like, is bordering not even bordering it's just like a racist black caricature of uh, a caricature of a black convict right like well yeah isn't he supposed to be a um he was a former black panther or something yeah yeah something like that oh (laughs) but it it never really comes into play except somebody asking him um you know nick cage's character asking him once why you taking orders from a white guy right no, there's so much. There's so much interesting stuff that could have been done with that character, with Ving Rhames in your movie, yeah. and it's just nothing. Like you could have had him be a really great kind of counterpoint to Nick Cage because, like, they have kind of similar backgrounds, uh, but one's like really kind of unrepentant in you know what he's done. But nope, nope. It's just he just kind of jokes a couple of times, and then I don't even remember what happens to him in the end. All right, he gets blown up by a motorcycle. Yeah, right. yeah. If it's not going to drive the action, they get rid of it. Yep. So, so and and the the casting of this movie, keep in mind that they went through a laundry list of of folks. Like for example, to play the part of Cameron Poe, they also took a look at Stephen Baldwin, William Baldwin, Tom Cruise, Johnny Depp, Dolph Lundgren, Brad Pitt, Keanu Reeves, Kurt Russell, Arnold, uh Steven Seagal, Sylvester Stallone, Van Damme, right. and Bruce Willis, and then for the parts of Vince Larkin, uh, who is played by John Cusack, Robert Downey Jr., Charlie Sheen, Matthew Broderick, and then for the part of Cyrus, William Defoe, uh, Willem Defoe, and uh, I would say William, it's Willem, and Mickey Rourke auditioned, and Rourke pulled a knife in the audition, which impressed the director, but they were like, you know, we should probably still go with John Malkovich. Yeah, uh, Willem Defoe would have been great in this role. Um, he could have rocked that. I mean, I, I, John Malkovich doesn't good as job as any like either of them would have been really great but i think without nick cage we wouldn't be talking about this movie 21 years later no no though i do think robert Downey jr charlie sheen or matthew broderick i think all of them probably could have been vince larkin uh and i and i like and here's the thing i have a soft spot for john cusack and i think that's because like yeah i mean there's a lot of bad john cusack movies don't get me wrong but then he's so sad yeah. But then there's there's stuff like mostly right. bad action movies. But then he does stuff, you know, like High Fidelity, which we mentioned earlier. And he does, um, you know, for example, one of my favorite movie bio 
one of my favorite music biopic movies that I had to like stray away from because I I know I've done a lot of music biopics and I know you guys probably haven't seen it, but I didn't want to do it for new to two is love and mercy. Uh, love and mercy is amazing. It is one of the best musical biopics of the last 15 years. Uh, uh, him playing the older version of Brian Wilson. And he's got a good role in Chirac. Yes. Yeah. And I just have a soft spot for him. I think he's great in this movie though. I really do. I love his character. I don't understand the point of what he does a lot of the time. Like he goes to the wife and the daughter to ask them why Nick Cage would stay on the plane. Why does that matter? (laughs) Well, because he wants an ally on the plane to help him get it back. See? Sure. Sure. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Why not? Yeah, it's a. I, th- I this movie is a waste of John Cusack. <laughs> Agreed. I think it only works because Nick Cage is he is doing tremendously great work with what he's given. You know, <laughs> he's, I actually feel he's for committed. this character. I empathize with this character. I just wish there was more to him. Yeah, he's like, just got that soulful, blue-eyed gaze. Right. That he's, he's working for everything it's worth. The only reason he's the good guy is because we're told he's the good guy. <laughs> but yeah. Okay. Well, and he wants to help his friend who's going into diabetic shock. Yeah, what a bizarre little storyline. That... And there's Mike Hilty Williamson dying again on screen <laughs> four years after dying in... Spoilers, Poor. dying in Forrest Gump. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess, I, you know, I would... I would uh, be like, why do we have that storyline at all? But it is the reason he stays on the plane. You know, yes. he was moments from getting released, but he's like, no, I got to help my friend out, which so, so. And the woman, because she's being threatened with, you know, rape uh, five seconds in this movie. Every five seconds. Oh, like I love Danny Trejo, but not in this movie. It made me so uncomfortable. And like, and at the yeah. end of the movie, when they are getting attacked and they are all fighting, he is still focused on raping this woman. That is his main focus. And, uh, and I know it's probably it's gross. It's, it's really gross. Uh, yeah. 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 You know, a stunt double died on this movie. Or, yeah. Or, it's got crashed yeah. by a plane. Yeah. Ooh. Not worth it. No. <laughs> 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 Not that it would have been worth it for a better movie. I know, um, I know that it's, it's a hazard of the profession and sometimes stunt people die, but I always find it extra sad and horrible when they die for a bad movie yeah because <laughs> if you want if you if they go out like, you want it to be no no i'm not i don't know what i'm saying here. but like we wouldn't we like you know if, if something horrible happens and it happens in like a movie that like is really high press and really well known like it's kind of like we kind of remember that guy and what happened but with a movie like this i wouldn't have known that happened if we hadn't been talking about it Right now, yeah, I've gone my whole life without ever hearing that. Certainly. Also, I just want to throw out: there's no sandstorms in Nevada. I, I, I've lived there. We don't get sandstorms like that. You guys um, don't. We get them in Arizona all the time. Really? Yeah. Yeah, that was like that was like a thing when this movie came out. Was and I'm. It's actually on the IMDb trivia page too that like Carson City does not get sandstorms. That this is purely a plot device. Um, yeah, I suspect it's the writer. Knowing that sometimes that happens in the Southwest, but not knowing specifically where and assuming that it applies everywhere. Like Arizona, Nevada, same thing, whatever. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. It's like, yeah, the Southwest's all the same. Who cares? Oh, sure. So, 
could this movie be shortened by like half hour or 45 minutes? Easily. I don't know Just about 45 minute movie. minutes. Yeah, a 90 minute movie. You could trim it down. If you're not going to do any character development anyway, you could right, like, bother it down. Do we need all the letters to the daughter? Like, why bother? Why, why bother at that point? Just put him on the plane. Yeah. Do you need Cusack exposition showing you as each con gets on the plane, explaining who he is and what yeah. he did? Do right. you need Steve Buscemi's character? Yeah. You don't do you need, need that at all. Nick Cage learning Spanish. <laughs> that <laughs> never is used. <laughs> Yeah, they made it seem like that was going to be a thing in this movie. Nope. 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 I wonder if it's because Cage tried to deliver the Spanish dialogue and couldn't do it. It was not good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's a very good convict, though. I will give him that. Gonna, we will take our margaritas on the yacht. Ah, yes. Conversational <laughs> Spanish that you will use every day. <laughs> All right. um, I remember the first Spanish I learned was where's the bathroom and uh, dos cervezas, por favor. Yep. So I don't know why um, they taught us that in sixth grade Spanish, but they did. <laughs> <laughs> Is it fair of John Cusack to hate this movie so much that he won't accept interviews about it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like nobody who was in this movie likes talking about it. I think that's actually a great way to like almost end this show is that no one in you're right, no one in this movie wants to talk about this movie. Yeah, they just it was apparent it seemed everybody was miserable working on it, everybody was unhappy. Once it was over, they just were ready to walk away. I bet MC Ganey would talk about it. Yeah, He's probably. Character actor, he'd talk about any of his stuff, I think. Yeah. Oh my gosh, though. Yeah, I just I this was an, an eye-opening experience for me because Con Air last time I saw it I was probably like 14. And uh, this did we was take always, the polish off it? We <laughs> took the polish off of it. I, I I granted I found new love for the bunny because I forgot the John Malkovich holding up the bunny scene. But it this is the kind of movie where I watched this at 2 a.m. last night. Uh and there's moments where you just stare at the TV and then like 10 minutes later, you're doing like the Gandalf thing where you're sleeping with your eyes open because <laughs> it's just, it's just at the end, especially it's just explosion, 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 car, Vegas, nightclub, uh, truck. Yeah. Then we have the additional truck scene at the oh, end. Yeah, the truck scene. Like it, uh, as to Nicole's point in the beginning, like this movie starts off going just so quick, so quick, so quick. And then just, grinds to a halt and you just you feel you just feel the movie lengthening before your eyes yeah it's yeah. very strange you know <laughs> there are all these action beats in it and yet it's still it loses its sense of motion yeah it's i mean that's hard when yeah when you have really poorly placed action sequences or, or you're pacing eyes off in the movie like i love casino royale as mentioned but casino royale has some moments in between those action set pieces also starts with a high energy action set piece and then just has moments of it where it's like oh, okay all right but Let's i mean there's, there's things going on in there there's plot developments there's character that's, that's very true that's parts. why that's why one of those movies we love and another one is con air yeah you know why couldn't we watch The Rock? If, if they're if you, audience, <sighs> I plead you. If you're going to throw out no. another not, late '90s action, yes, no. The Rock. The Rock is not good, but it's, it's not better any than better. Oh. It is. Oh. <laughs> um, I think that's going to wrap it up for us with Con Air. Honestly, we watched it. You guys made us watch it. You did this to us, and you kind of ruined. 
you ruined my childhood. You ruined. Yeah. This movie <laughs> was much more fun than me when I was 14. Uh, but David, you were excited to watch this movie, but it almost sounds like some sheen was lost oh. for you too. Oh, no, I was excited to watch this movie because I knew we were going to have a great conversation. Just being like, oh, what, okay. what, what, what the crap was this? Yeah. I knew it would be good fodder for the conversation. I was not excited to have to watch this movie again. And I'm sure this is nothing you're going to be coming back to anytime no, soon. Nicole. Probably not. No, 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 no. Yeah. So next week, action movies out there. Yeah. So next week we're going to watch something tasteful and, uh, and more poignant, which is everything is illuminated. So go ahead and watch that. If you'd like to follow up and, you know, keep track of what's going on with the show, but let's go around the table. Nicole Davis, where can people find you online? I take care of our Facebook page at facebook.com slash movie go round podcast. I'm on letterboxd, uh, Nicole underscore Davis. And I'm on Twitter under at your word whiz. And that's Y O U R W O R D W H I Z. Very good. And what about you, David? Uh, I'm also on the Brookbot Mountain Podcast. You can find me around the internet under the username Davlaz. That's D-A-V-L-U-Z. So Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, you can find me there. Right on. You can find me on Twitter at I am Brett Stewart. Brett to two T's and Stewart with E-W. You can also find all the writing I'm doing on TiltingWheelStudios.com, the same site where you can find all the archives for this podcast. I've been putting up some columns there. If you are a music fan of any capacity, you should check those out. I have a new one coming out in about two, three days, so it'll have already been out by the time this episode comes out, talking about a guitarist named Mark Selby, who passed away last year to cancer, and I did not know. This is a man who I've loved, and I thought he was one of the coolest guitarists and a great musician, and he never got the credit he deserved, and then when he died, no one found out, including his fans. So, I have a really interesting column on that, if you want to check that out. But that'll do it for myself, David, and Nicole. We'll be back next week with Lee Schreiber's movie, Everything is Illuminated for new to two the start of a new cycle we'll see you then 